This is Learning Innovation, the teaching and learning podcast, otherwise known as LittlePod. We are created by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, located in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. Here at CTLI, it's our job to keep education innovative and accessible, which leads to lots of conversations and projects with students, educators and experts in our networks. We hope you'll tune in, hit play, and get inspired as we navigate and capture the dynamic landscape of teaching, learning, and pedagogy. Welcome to episode 30 of The Little Pod. Our guests today are Danielle Simard, an instructor in the Centre for Business, Arts, and Sciences at Lethbridge College, and Tracy Schovold, a film student from one of Danielle's classes. Today we'll be talking about Danielle's implementation of innovative student-led assessments. We'll learn what they are, what they're aiming to achieve, and we'll get Tracy's perspective on how these assessments have impacted his learning experience. Welcome, Danielle and Tracy. Hi, Donna. Thanks for hosting us. Danielle, can you describe what student-led assessments are? Yes, absolutely. Um, So student-led assessments are any assessments in which the students evaluate and assign themselves a grade. Um, This can have different outcomes for different courses. It can also look um, many different ways, uh, depending on what your requirements are for that class. So for my classes, I teach um, an English first year course and a film second year course. So what I have developed is a little bit like an assessment menu. For the, um, for the English course, it's worth 35% of the grade, so it's called the My 35. For the film course, it's worth 30% of the grade, so it's called the My 30%. What they are are sort of assessment menus in which students can decide exactly how they want to engage in their own educational process and develop their own um, academic engagement through feedback strategies. In my classes, these assessments translate directly to final grades. So they're weighted um, exactly as they appear. So if you need to acquire 30 points worth of activities, that directly translates as 30% worth on the final um, on the final grade. So for example, um, if you complete a weekly blended assignment, which is an online discussion board, um, and Tracy's smiling at me right now because he loves those. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, if you complete one of the discussion board assignments, it's part of the class requirements, so it is worth 1%. Whereas if you do something that requires a little bit more time organization, time management, and is a little bit more difficult, but also has a proportionate larger impact on the improvement of your final grade, then it is worth more percentage points. So if, for example, you submit your final assessment to the Learning Cafe Dropbox, um, so you need to get your assignment done well ahead of time, get that into the Dropbox so that you can get your feedback before you submit the final assessment, that's worth a whopping 7% towards your final grade. So that's how I build student-led assessments so that students can engage as they see fit, as they see that they need to develop their own learning with respect to the material in the course. This sounds really fascinating because it um, involves student choice and and flexibility, which is is really key um, to learning. Can you talk um, a bit about some of the outcomes that these assessments would align to in your courses? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do something in my courses because uh, my courses are blended. So every week my students have a discussion board assignment and those discussion board assignments are explicitly designed to adhere to class material and therefore to follow course outcomes. Um, but I do have other assignments, sort of one assignment per outcome. <laughs> so if the students choose to develop that particular learning outcome, then they can fit with that assignment. Um, so for example, for my English class, um, one of the course outcomes is to be able to um, demonstrate that you can use library and electronic research strategies to locate information. So one of my assignments for that class is to choose a topic you're interested in, develop a six source um, reference page, and then develop a research proposal for um, said exercise so that I can understand that you've read and assimilated the information. And that is worth 6% towards your final grade should you go through that research activity. Wonderful. Well, and yeah, that's so that sounds like a great alignment between the outcome and the assessment. Um, so Tracy, from your perspective as a student, what were your first impressions of this assessment method? Uh, first, I thought it was quite intriguing because you had options. You weren't necessarily like generally when you're sitting in class, you're given that initial outline and you know what you're going to do throughout the point throughout the courses. With this, it was I basically knew right off the bat I had to be organized. I knew uh, I'm, a, I'm a student with disabilities, so I do work with the Learning Cafe and we have weekly meetings. So I knew from there, they basically said, okay, you need to have a plan from day one and go through. So I knew that when the 30% came being at the end of the semester, I wasn't scrambling because just looking at it, it's definitely a project that you can't do in that last week. You have to be on the ball continuously. I thought it was really intriguing, but it definitely knew I had to be very time constrained of what I had to do and when I had to do it. But I actually enjoyed it immensely. It was actually, um, at certain points, it was a little challenging, especially near the end of the semester, because <laughs> you have so many papers, so many things going on. It's, uh, it's just, it's a lot. But if I did a lot of it on the beginning half, so I was prepared. Um, I really enjoyed it. I I do think that as a student, I find a lot of times there's not a lot of interaction between with the instructors and even within the, my fellow classmates due to COVID right now. And I felt with this was a perfect thing to happen during COVID because a lot of that information was our responsibility to give to, to, put, it, put, it, uh, to put out. But I knew that I really need to have an understanding of what the information was. So it was really making me more accountable of what film studies was and going through. It wasn't, I can study a week and a half before exams. It was, I had to continually have that understanding and vocabulary going through. So it sounds like it kept you engaged with the course and the course Very material. much so, yes. Yes. And as well, when you did talk to some of the other fellow students, we had that vocabulary back and forth, where in other classes we don't. It's more of, you know, what do you think of this assignment or what do you think of that? We actually had the discussion back and forth about films where we had that set vocabulary. We had that knowledge already in place where we could have a conversation and one of neither one of us was lost. Um, what did you decide to do for your assessment? Uh, I did um, uh, several things. One I did, uh, there was a technical and terminology uh, quiz we had to do, which again was also an optional thing you had to do. It wasn't for marks, but if you did it, it did 
did uh, account for. I think it was like 5% of your grade. I also did the online uh, every week assessments. But also, too, because uh, I'm in with Learning Cafe, I actually had that, was able to slip that in quite nicely into my and 30%. But um, as well, was something that was interesting was office hours. You got to meet and have a discussion with Danielle once for an hour, which is really good for on my end, but also for her as well, where she gets to actually have a conversation with her students, which I've never had that experience with uh, instructor. I'm very open and I'm very, I talk to everyone. I, I'm very open about everything. So I don't, I, I track down my instructions, say, Hey, this is me. This is my issues. This is what I got to do. And so on where this was for her. There's always, I imagine it was nice to talk to everyone in the class by the end of the semester. She knew where people sat, where in a lot of classes, there's people that just come in and they never say anything. So uh, it actually kind of cracked that that ability to have that discussion with each other as well. It was, I have to be more open because definitely within this class, compared to a lot of others, there was a lot more discussion where some uh, have a tendency of doing all the talking. <laughs> um so as an instructor, Danielle, I would imagine that those conversations that you're having with your students, are, are a good way to get to know them, but maybe also giving you some feedback on the course and the course material. Would that? Yes, absolutely. Um, as you can sort of hear from Tracy, uh, the office hours are often, um, yes, we do talk about assessments and we do sort of um, build in those, you know, hard requirements for the course that we all need to do. Um, but at the same time, it allows me to encourage them to take the material beyond something that they just have to learn for a term and get them to sort of think about it and engage and be interested if they're so inclined. Um, so again, it is optional what they choose to do for that 30% um, or if they choose to do it at all. Um, so, uh, you know, the students who tended to take the opportunities to use office hours or conversations with me for percentages, which is 5%. Um, those are the students who wanted to be engaged and who wanted to take those steps to really work with the material. And I feel like it allowed me to see that in them and allow that to sort of come out in the way that they wanted to express it. And so we talked about the course outcomes that these assessments are aligned to, but are there some other skills that students are gaining from the student-led assessments that maybe go beyond some of those outcomes? I mean, that's the goal. <laughs> it's very hard for me to tell if, um, you know, if students have, have actually learned and retained these skills. Um, but that was part of the reason I developed these, is that one of the things that I've encountered through you know, uh, several years of teaching is that one thing that both instructors and students seem to say is I had a hard time making that leap in order to feel like I wanted and needed to be engaged in the material and that I wanted and needed to be there for myself rather than just to sort of complete the course and survive. Um, so one of the skills that I really tried to build into most, if not all, of the assignments for these sort of assessment menus that I've created is a sense of responsibility and 
um, sort of agency or engagement with their own education. So uh, to sort of promote uh, what is in scholarship of teaching and learning sort of seen as what's called processual knowledge. So um, it used to be that learning was seen as sort of a package Right. That, you know, we who have the learning can sort of create little parcels and hand it out to our students and then they can retain it and then they have the knowledge and they can move on with it and use it in the world. Um, But, you know, through pedagogical research, we've discovered that this is not actually the case and that learning is a lot more um, dialogic. So it's a lot more um, of an ebb and a flow and it's a lot more processual. So it's a it's a process that is not given from an instructor to a student, but instead is a, a bit more of a back and forth. So I see my role more as, as a facilitator and the students more as sort of active learners. So that was my goal for the My35 to try and promote those skills in order for them to see their own education as processual rather than a prepackaged content, but also to get them to make those steps on their own to, you know, not sort of passively receive, but to encourage them to sort of incentivize them to take that responsibility, to take that control back for themselves so that they can feel that their education is serving them rather than something that they've survived to get a certificate that they can use for something completely different. And Tracy, for you, what would you say are are some of the skills that you have gained through this process or maybe, you know, in your conversations with other students? I, I think a lot of it is uh, that communication. Like, really, for a lot of the classes, we know when you sit down that you've got a midterm, you have one paper, and you have a final, and you have quizzes along the way. There's nothing that really puts any onus on ourselves. With this, there definitely is onus. You, to get that mark that you want, to get a high enough grade, even like myself, not a good test taker. But with this, it gave me more of an emphasis that this is important. This is something I can do. This is more hands-on. I also had choices of what I could do for my 30%. There's some stuff I just put to the side because it looked as though it wasn't anything I was interested in. But as talking to other students, for a lot of them, there were some that were, they weren't crazy about it, but also for those individuals, they were very much, I want a quiz and that's it, or an exam. I don't want, I don't do papers. I don't do anything like that. I remember everything retain in out. But with, for a, a lot of others, it was definitely, the communication was, what do you think the next exam it was? Next exam is, it was more, hey, I'm thinking of doing this, or I'm thinking of doing that. Uh, particularly, I heard a lot about like the terminology and technical uh, quiz. There was a lot of discussion with that because that was a lot more vocabulary that we weren't, we had, were aware of previously in the semester. But when it came to it, we didn't had that realization of how important that was. So for a lot of them, when they were going through the 30%, we're like, I'm so happy I did that quiz because it helped me a lot when doing, uh, carrying on particularly the 30%. So I think that really there was a lot more positive that I heard from the students than negative. But for a lot, they were really pleased of actually having a bit of that power that they had unto themselves of making decisions for their mark for that 30%. For a lot, for quite a few that I talked to, they actually enjoyed it immensely. That's really great to hear. I'm, I haven't heard any of that feedback. So that's, you know, it's really lovely to hear that from my students because that's honestly why I've built it. It would be a lot easier for me to create, you know, a series of quizzes to do along the way. So hearing that actually, 
you know, at least a few students really enjoy the concept and, and benefited from it, that makes it all worth it. So thank you, Tracy. No problem. Well, it definitely wouldn't work in a lot of courses, but I'd say for about half a dozen that I have taken throughout being the college, I'd definitely be beneficiary. Because I know there's a few courses that are very, for a lot, by the time the paper comes along, they know they've already passed the course. They know they got their 60% and that's what they need. And they couldn't really care about the paper or the final. Where with this, it's kind of more of, okay, I want you to be engaged. I want you to make those decisions for your grade. And it does, again, it gives us more onus. And really, I think that was the part that I found really fascinating with it was, okay, I had decisions and here I went. Danielle, what sparked the idea to create this innovative opportunity for you and your students? Yeah, um, that was really, it's really interesting how that came about um, because I've, you know, I've been teaching for a while um, and I've actually just recently come to Lethbridge College. Um, so I used to research and teach at the University of York in the UK. And there are many differences between York and the University of York and Lethbridge College, um, which are good from both sides. But there's one sort of commonality that I found in speaking to both students and instructors at both institutions, which is that um, the students that I've spoken to universally say, we wish our instructors were more engaging. We wish our courses were more relevant. We wish they were more interesting. We wish they had more direct impact on something we can actually use in our daily life. And then universally, the instructors would say the exact same thing from the other side. So I wish students were more engaged. I wish they could see how important this material is. I wish they could care as much about this as I do. I wish that they would want to complete this material as much as I want to have them, you know, learn and engage with my specialty. And since I was hearing the exact same thing from both sides of the coin, I felt that there was a little bit of something lacking in maybe the structure of how we have done this course. And so I um, I sort of asked myself how we can incentivize students to take this extra step, because if we're completely honest, um, my 1150 course is a first year prerequisite. And my film studies course is completely optional. It's not a university transfer course. So both of my courses, my students are not there because that's what they want to do in with their life as their end goal. So I knew that in order to incentivize the sort of sense of engagement that both students and teachers were craving, that we would have to incentivize that through a grades-based system. And so I thought you know what, based on accessibility and, you know, um, educational needs, based on lifestyle, based on, you know, just interest, that students are going to need a diversity of ways in order to feel that they're getting what they need from the course. And the My 35 was born. I moved to Lethbridge College um, in September and I decided that new institution, new start. So I built a new assessment and thought I could try it out here and see how it goes. And it seems to have turned out all right. Agreed. I imagine that there has been some challenges to creating, implementing, and maintaining student-led assessments. Um, can you talk about what some of those challenges might have been? 
Yes, absolutely. So I think Tracy can corroborate this, but uh, the explaining and the understanding of how it fits in the course um, can be a little bit rocky, simply because uh, many students, as, as he sort of said earlier, many students have never encountered uh, this idea of, of self-assessment before. Um, and so the idea of providing feedback or maintaining regular, consistent engagement um, or even, you know, that sense of, you know, taking responsibility or accountability for their position um, is very new. And so convincing students that this is not extra credit, convincing students that they are actually entirely in charge, convincing students that, no, I won't, you know, if you are getting grades for engaging in classes, I'm not going to keep track of that for you. It's a self-led assessment. So if you don't keep track of your own assessments, I'm not going to email all of your resources and get that for each and every single one of my students. And so that was a real stumbling point, and it still is. But I think students, once they get used to it, they go on. The, the big hurdle is for them to not see it as optional because I have some students who just decide not to hand it in and then discover that 35% of their grade is zero, which will drop them an entire letter grade. And then they get very upset because they uh, didn't sort of take those steps in order to take, you know, to put that sort of responsibility into their, their own outcome. And, and I've gotten a lot of feedback from students who didn't like it. I mean, you always hear more feedback from the people who don't like than the ones who do. Uh, it's just the nature of the world that we live in. Um, but the ones who dislike it see it as extra work um, that they have to do above and beyond, um, which isn't quite how it works. Um, you know, I give I give um, 1%, for example, for engaging in class. So mm -hmm. if you are, you know, actively listening, taking notes or participating in a conversation, if that's how you choose to participate. Um, then you get 1% for that day. You know, if you do the blended assignments, which is part of the course, it's non-optional. It's the same as being in class. So it is expected that you do the blended assignment every week. I will also give you 1% for engaging, but also responding to your colleagues on the discussion board. So I have a lot of students who, who don't really see that, um, actually what this is, is this is promoting that sort of bare minimum engagement and then giving them ways to just push beyond that a little bit. In this case, um, you know, the, the activities that you just mentioned um, align with the outcomes of your courses. For an instructor that is listening to this, that would like to try out going this route, but maybe they don't have those outcomes, you know, those are outcomes that, that um, kind of fit with maybe a first year introductory course, but maybe they, you know, have a different type of course with different outcomes. How, what advice would you give them? There Are there resources or um, suggestions that you could make if they wanted to give this a try? So there's not a lot out there right now about student-led self-assessment in higher education. It's 
relatively new in our field. It's a little bit more frequent in places like elementary schools and high schools um, in which they have, you know, guided projects in which the students do a regular feedback exercise. Um, But really having a significant portion of the grade being dedicated to student exclusive assessment um, because I think Tracy can testify. I don't I don't actually read those discussion boards. I let the students sort of police themselves and provide co-feedback rather than, so I'm really not involved in that, their acquisition of that large chunk of their grade. Um, So there's not a lot of sort of resources where an instructor can go and and figure out how to do this for themselves because it is fairly new as a process. Um, What I would like to emphasize is that um, I do this as sort of an assessment menu, I guess you could call it, you know, a variety of exercises that students can choose. But self-led assessment can really take any form. So whatever process that instructors normally go through to build sort of you know, robust, relevant uh, assessment for their course, they would go through that exact same process. But think about how they can ensure that a student is able to reflect authentically on their own practice. And I think that's where the real as an instructor, the real reflection comes in because <laughs> it's very difficult to sort of let go of the reins and say, you know what, like you determine how well you did at this and you determine how much you think you receive. So whatever course you are designing, you need to create an assessment in line with those goals. And it don't, doesn't necessarily look like an assessment menu. It may look like um, a continuing project. It may look like, you know, an exam that they might build for their colleagues. Um, It might look like, you know, evaluated peer review feedback. Um, But really, it's about building that, you know, relevant, authentic assessment as you normally would. And then thinking about how students can honestly reflect because students do enjoy getting higher grades. So (laughs) it's uh, (laughs) generally speaking, students enjoy getting higher grades than not. So it is a way to ensure that you are building in that sense of, you know, reliability and authenticity in the grade that they do achieve. Uh, As a student, I also would think that for other instructors, this would have a value because you do have more of an engaged students. Like I would use, for example, like something like a biology class where you would have this where you would be, okay, I want, and there would be like a couple of articles that you've read that has relation to whatever unit we're doing currently. If it's whenever in the course, you basically send a small little uh, 200, 300 word little essay saying your thoughts about this article or going down and, you know, there's an environmental spokesman or a person coming to town, going to go listen to them after class or in the evening and then basically saying, hey, this is what I did. This was the information that was given where it's not, again, sitting in a class, information in, information out. Where it doesn't, I mean, for English, it could be almost anything, really. It, I think as an instructor, it'd actually be quite entertaining in that it's not the usual paper exam, repeat next semester, where this is, oh, you know, because you're always going to have one or two students or maybe more that are going to be more engaged and more thoughtful in your class than others. Yes, you're going to have the people who are going to sit in the back and not going to say a thing who are going to basically ghost the whole program and the classes. But you're going to have some that are going to be like, okay, I am interested in it. I want more knowledge. 
and it gives the student that responsibility and also kind of gives them that push to be more interested in so they can find those things that are most interesting or relevant to them. Yeah, it gives them that opportunity to kind of go out there and look for more. But for myself, like I, I'm a older student and I watched a lot of films. And there's a lot of films that my fellow students hadn't watched. But in the beginning of the course, there is throw in five movies that you like to watch that are not within the curriculum that is expressed. And for myself, it was interesting. There's movies there I never even heard of. And I... and I thought it was fascinating. And then going through the boards and while I'm doing my 30%, I knew who those people were and I had more interest in replying back to them. And even within the class, there was that engagement back and forth and more so because I knew what they were talking about for movies, but also too, we had the same vocabulary. But as well, it gave us more of that oomph, that more of that push to not only engage with Danielle, but also with each other. Because there's lots of classes where I've gone in and I've left and because of my who I am and my size and my way I talk, people know who I am, but I don't know who everyone else is around me. But with this, there was more people coming to me wanting to talk and that's rare. Yeah. So the engagement with each other increased, not just with the course. So um, is there anything that this kind of assessment has, has kind of taught you about yourself? Yeah, I got to be a lot more organized. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's juggling, learning, learning how to really to keep things going. But I think I, I have more of an understanding now of my film, watching films and previous films. I have more of an understanding of how things are made and why they, they made them. Like, I also enjoy history, so now I have more of a historical concept of why certain films were made at a certain time and how the techniques of those films were made. We start with the black and whites in the beginning of the course, and some of them, you know, you find them on YouTube, and you're like, they're kind of hokey, they're kind of weird, but that's more of a 2022 mentality. But watching at the time, thinking like, wow, that's where, you know, this came from. Unfortunately, as a negativity, unfortunately, it's hard to watch some of the recurrent movies because now I see green screen. And now I see things that I see the f- more of the flaws within films where I never saw them before. Sorry, Daniel. No, I'm, I'm sorry for that, Tracy. <laughs> it is one of the downsides of film studies of, you know, the, the more you know, the more critical you can become. You, you yeah. get a peek behind the curtain? Yeah, yes. just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to students that were to come into a class with, with these type of assessments? Have an understanding of what the 30% is. Actually saying, okay, I've got this 30%. It's not due until the end of the semester. This is something I should probably start on day one, because really, in the first month, you can knock off a good quarter right off the bat. And that automatically in your mind think, oh, well, I've already got 10%. Like, I've already, I've moved, already moved forward. I think a lot of it also is having that ability to think for themselves. I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but for a lot it was, so what are you doing? And they wanted my opinions on it. And it's like, it's no, it's not, I'm not going to direct you on what you have to do. That is your decision. And I think there has to be that ability for the students to basically say, okay, Danielle, I know this is 30%. I've read through the information. I've got questions about the following. 
I do think that one of the things that might have been the most difficult for a lot of them was actually the <clears throat> the discussion with Danielle herself. Because for a lot who have anxiety issues and stuff, like she is the boss. And for some, <laughs> she's laughing. <laughs> um, for a lot of people, talking to an authority figure of any type is very difficult, especially if you've got certain types of anxiety. And I think for those who did do it, there was that comfortability. You could tell those who did that class portion afterwards when they came to the next day, you knew that they were talking more. They were more engaged in the class. I think as a student, doing that right off the bat would be a good thing, is having that discussion with the instructor so that way you get, in, you get comfortable with the instructor and you know that also your fellow students have done this as well. It makes that kind of that unity and that ability to talk. So it breaks down a, a barrier. Yes. Danielle, are there any stories that uh, stick out to you uh, um, that are interesting or, or sort of overwhelming um, success stories with the student-led assessments? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll try not to get teary. Um, some of them, you know, some, some of the students do do these exercises to get through them. And other students are intensely rewarding from an instructor-led perspective um, because they provide those moments that let you know that they have gained something not just educationally but sort of as as a human <laughs> from from going through the process of engagement um, and you know uh, Tracy is one of them he regularly fed back about how you know how he was doing and how that sort of altered his view and how that manifested on a regular basis, both in class and out, which was very enriching. Um, also during the film class, one of my, uh, one of the optional assessments for the, uh, my 30% assessment for that class is to read one of the class readings ahead of time and submit a 500 word reflection to me. I don't grade it, just the act of doing the reflection is what gets you the 5%. Um, and uh, one of the modules that we did, two-week module, was diversity on screen, which is autism-focused um, and thinking about uh, genuine, authentic representation of disability and difference on the screen. And one of my students, you know, who'd been doing fairly well throughout the term, but hadn't been regularly into classes and, um, you know, hadn't taken a lot of that opportunity to really put himself out there, um, had read the reading, um, and one of the readings was The Reason I Jump, which is a, a book written by a 13-year-old nonverbal autistic boy in Japan. Um, and he submitted to me um, a reflective reading of that book. And he said, you know what, I have a lot of personal experience, both in my family and as a care worker for those who experience autism. And um, he had said, you know, like... Um, I always wondered, I always wondered if they knew how much we care about them because they can't tell us. And I always wondered if what I was doing was helping or creating an extra difference. Or I always, you know, I, I never quite understood how I could reach out 
in 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 a more positive way and so that was intensely rewarding for me um, just because I mean it wasn't film based and that wasn't a requirement for the assessment what I needed that person to do was do the reading and engage with that reading on a cognitive level and this person sort of took it beyond what was required for the course and really processed that this information is relevant, not just to him, not just to the people he loves, but is sort of relevant to the experience of the world in general. And that, you know, film can be part of that conversation. Film can be part of that human enrichment that brings us closer together. And that went above and beyond anything that I expected would be um, sort of as an outcome of this assessment. And uh, I still read that reflection every so often when I need a little bit of a pick me up, letting me know that I'm on the right track with my students. Um, because if, you know, if just one or two students have that kind of benefit, you know, that Tracy and other students have mentioned to me that they've gotten from doing some of these um, exercises or activities that, it, you know, it's worth it to put up with the the sort of difficulties that other students put forward as a result of it as well. For having been in film studies and the 30%, I guess one of the things that I also was kind of, how am I going to give my information when it's my opinion? Like, how do you, how do you mark something that's my opinion? And that's where the 30% came in was excellent because everything I turned in really was there was no real right answer for a lot of that stuff. And like psychology, biology, math, there's always a definite, this is what the answer is. But even in psychology, sometimes there's questions that are asked that there is no valid answer to them. And with film, it's an interpretation. So when we do do the discussions on the discussion boards or we hand in those papers, the comments that come back from Danielle really are, that's interesting, that's something, you know, how about also thinking a little bit more on this. Again, it, I guess one of the things that comes out of the whole course to me, myself is how much people engaged with each other. Because I know that the last two years, engagement with students between each other is something we just didn't do in a lot of courses at all. And this was the first time in a long time where we talked between each other. And a lot of it was, is, hey, I, what we talked about in class about this film, I agree with you, but do you, what do you also think about this? That happened a lot. There was a little more discussion in the halls than there was previously to, uh, uh, sorry, previously that I had in other classes. That's wonderful. It sounds like, you know, it's ways that you've been able to extend your thinking and your learning and, and uh, it really sounds like a, a very enjoyable process. Well, I hope so. <laughs> um, but again, uh, students have very polarized reactions to it. Um, so I've, you know, I've been very fortunate to have students like Tracy who see merit in it and, and see the engagement opportunities within it. I do have students who, on the other hand, think that it, it's the worst thing that they've ever done. So um, it really is about not necessarily having a tough skin, but but knowing what you are trying to teach through the assessment. And again, building those, you know, reliable, authentic assessments that do what they need to do, um, whether or not the student feels like doing it, <laughs> that, you know, just despite 
their best efforts to not engage, they are in fact getting some benefit from it. So this is a question for both of you. Uh, where do you see student-led assessments going in the future? I <laughs> I think it should be actually, I think it's something that's quite positive, actually. And I think it is because, again, it's engaging with your instructor. It's engaging with the information. It's not just sitting down, looking at the instructor. They give you the information, again, in and out. I think it's something that will actually have that, as I said previously, for the, for the instructors. It'll be, they know who's engaged. And for them as well, they'll know that through their semester, okay, there's this one unit. Everyone kind of does a little crappy doing the quiz or the exams. Well, having that engagement with that, okay, why is this not working? Instead of, you know, pegging the one or two students who actually talk in the class and say, why is this not working? Or just saying, ugh, it happens every year, whatever. You could have a little more, have that for that unit in particular. And then that way, they could change the way that they teach that unit, where it can be more, not interesting, but more having that information in a way that it actually retains to the student. So when the final comes, we know there's always going to be like five or six questions on one unit and no one passes it. And everyone just writes it off as a fluke. But that having that engagement, again, it can solve some of the problems within education, particularly in certain courses. So it gives instructors information as well. Yeah, it's not just the students having that discussion between each other, but also having having an instructor. And I have to say, in some ways, this is much better than doing group projects. <laughs> group projects like pulling teeth sometimes. So for this, it's at 30%. Instead of doing a group project, you could do this, where, you know, it's... Again, it could it totally depends on the instructor and what their their ideas and their thoughts and their imagination in some ways that they could do to fill up a unit that could be just bone dry or also to something that because you're going to get people that just, you know, as I said, there's people who ghost in classes. But there's also people too that just I can't deal with others, so I'm not going to do a group project. I will do anything but that where I give them that option. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that. In an ideal world, self-led assessment will move beyond something that is, you know, just just a, a little, not well, not a little in my classes. It's a big chunk. Thirty and thirty-five percent is a very big chunk of the grade. Um, but I, I think in the future, student-led assessment will hopefully um, develop more of an impact in general course building. Um, and if not being a requirement for courses will be sort of a legitimate, um, option that is not something that an instructor has to go out of their way to do their own, you know, scholarship of teaching and learning pedagogical research to figure out what it is and, you know, become super creative in how to build it. Ideally, in my mind, in the way I see higher education and the needs of contemporary higher education in our, you know, living current world is that we need to promote this sort of sense of development and this sense that higher education is not just a certificate to be gotten, but is actually a benefit to the human behind the brain, I guess, or, you know, the, the mind that that is moving through this process. 
And so I think building in regular self-led assessments um, where, you know, again, it doesn't have to be an assessment menu, but enabling students to take those reins a little bit still allows for learning, but does it in a way that doesn't necessarily close off those experts, quote unquote experts, um, from the real world. You know, it sort of breaks down that ivory tower mentality just a little bit more and it enables that um, that community engagement and the relevance of higher education in a world where trades and practical um, applications are on the rise and are increasingly needed, you know, um, higher education needs to keep pace with that. Because, you know, teaching in a, a lecture theater with 600 students with a person who's never seen your face and will still not know that they have seen you four months from now is becoming more of an archaic way of teaching. And so I think we just need to really keep, if not self-led assessments, then, then keep students the center and, and the learning being the center rather than the giving of information. Sounds like it develops a lot of critical thinking and problem-solving skills. Yes, it. Yeah, it, it's it's something that I feel as though we don't do a lot of, and I think that's something that not not to bash the younger ones, but I am a little bit older. I find sometimes a lot of people don't have that skill, and those people who do ghost in classes and kind of just they're there. Conversation skills and critical thinking skills sometimes are something they lack a lot of. Yeah. And I think when it comes to those self-led assessments, not only are we promoting that building of, you know, or I like to think I'm, I'm helping to promote those critical thinking skills. <laughs> but I mean, critical thinking is not something that you just have or don't have. Um, it's something that you develop. You know, it's a little bit like a muscle. You need to actually stretch it and press it and, you know, sort of push it just to the boundaries of where you think that you are capable. Um, and if we don't build that requirement into our course, we can't necessarily expect students to have it. Um, you know, we teach material, but we don't often think of ourselves as teaching processes of thinking, um, you know, from an instructor perspective. And so changing that perspective as, you know, your previous question was, where do you see self-led assessment going or student-led assessment going is really, I think, focusing on what those student outcomes need to be beyond, you know, demonstrating that you know where to find the databases, but actually demonstrating that when you go forward, you are able to think critically and use these skills in the world, even if you're not going to use this explicit information in the world. And I think self-led or student-led assessment is a great way to ask a student to push themselves just that little bit further to promote the growth of that sort of critical thinking muscle. Um, a good way to, I would say, to start building your own self-assessment would be to think about what you would build an authentic instructor-led assessment like, and then think about how you can actually put the student first in that assignment. So you don't necessarily have to go about building a student-led assessment from the ground up. Instead, you build an assessment that, you know, is robust for your course. And then you can start to think about what the student experience is within that. Um, and I think that that is maybe a more 
more robust way to go about building it. Because, um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I would love to be able to point someone towards a workbook or, you know, a list of a list of requirements, but it really doesn't exist at the moment. Are you going to publish anything on what you've been doing? Oh, oh, Tracy is nodding. Um, uh, I genuinely haven't thought about that. I never really thought about myself as, um, you know, being at the forefront of pedagogy. Um, I, you know, I don't see myself as a scholarship of teaching and learning scholar. I see myself as a film scholar first. Um, but I mean, that would be a really interesting point of view. I would, I, I would think about it for sure. I could benefit from the input from CTLI about that as well. <laughs> Well, and, and we'll come over to Tracy in a second here, but our podcast right before this one, we were talking to Melanie Hamilton about the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning. Mm -hmm. So maybe we'll need to connect you with Mel. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I started Scholarship of Teaching and Learning at the University of York, which really, you know, I have a, a master's qualification in it. And um, it really got me interested in thinking about how we can use pedagogy to actually forward our goals as sort of like research scholars, um, which seems a little bit backwards to use our teaching to inform our research. But it seems to have worked. And I've actually learned a lot from my students in this process that in, has influenced my own work. You know, I will be doing something on autistic gaze. I will be doing something on a lot of these elements that we've been working on together in class um, and that my students have helped me develop in ways that I wouldn't have thought of on my own. So it would I think be, great. be very beneficial for with being so much online, I think it'd be perfect for online. So I think having that outline or that information, I think would be so much of value to other instructors because it does fill that gap for students who are online who can't attend certain things. We've noticed that a lot more, I've noticed that a lot more with COVID. There's so many students missing things and this would definitely fill in those cracks. So you need me to publish it, Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll see. If if I write something up, I might get you to co-author it. We'll oh, see. Okay. <laughs> How would you like to have an academic publication on your record? Sure. Why not? <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, it, uh, this has been uh, an amazing conversation, very honest conversation and, and very interesting to dive into this and hear all the perspectives. Um, is there anything else that either of you would like to add? I would just say to fellow future students, that being that I think there has to be an understanding of what it is, what the 30% is, and enjoy it for what it is. It's probably the, the most fun 30% that I gained in a semester. You're blushing over there, but it's true. It's kind of, it gave me the responsibility to do it, and it wasn't it relieved a lot of stress within a semester because I knew it was a block of something that wasn't an exam. It wasn't a paper. It was something that I could do on my own time. And being that, again, thanks to the Learning Cafe, I'm or that helped me be organized enough that I knew that halfway through I was done. So, yeah, it was very beneficial. I wish I wish it existed in more classes. Great. Thanks, Tracy. Glad to hear it. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say a few things to sort of say about building this for yourself. Um, it is both easier and more difficult than in, in strange ways than you might expect when you first start building it. Um, 
you know, I, I had to do a lot of loophole closing uh, when I first started building it because I didn't have a model to go off of um, and students will find the loopholes if they exist. Um, so it, it was just a little bit of, of tinkering to really figure out how that self-led assessment can still be authentic, robust and valid. Um, uh, if you are building an assessment kind of like mine, which encourages you to go outside of the class and find support. So Tracy pointed out, um, I offer uh, quite a lot actually of, of point rewards <laughs> for utilizing resources like the Learning Cafe or like the Embedded Librarians and English courses, which are, you know, college produced um, rather than instructor produced. Um, if you are building a self-assessment that is facing outward like that, um, that you have really detailed conversations with the supports that you are going to use um, because you're using them because they're great. So you don't, you don't want to swamp them and you don't want to overwhelm them. And I've had a lot of conversations with the members, for example, of the Learning Cafe because I use them quite a lot in my courses. Um, that, you know, you have conversations with them about deadlines and what your expectations are. And, you know, they will, uh, if you ask your supports to work with you, in my experience, everyone that I have asked to, if whether they want to participate in this um, activity, this type of self-led assessment, whatever that looks like in your course, um, they've all been really excited to do it. And they've all been really happy to consistently feedback to me and keep me up to date on what's happening with my students outside of the class. Um, so just make sure that if you are building in those external supports or if you are encouraging students to spend their time elsewhere, that those supports or, or structures are able to maintain that capacity because it will be a surprisingly large increase in capacity. So um, I accidentally swamped the learning cafe in my first term. Um, it was, you know, it was completely non-intentional. I expected my students to do a wider variety of activities, but, you know, they're all individual people and they all individually chose to do that thing at the same time. So, you know, just be a little bit responsible if, you're, if your self-led assessment brings the students outside of material that you are responsible for evaluating. Thanks, Danielle. That's a great uh, tip. Yeah. So to wrap up our podcast, uh, we like to ask about something that you have loved learning lately. And this doesn't have to necessarily be academic or uh, within the college. It could be something that you have loved learning in, in any aspect of your life lately. <laughs> it's, it sounds kind of silly, um, but I've recently adopted a dog. Um, so, and you know, he's, uh, he's a senior dog and he's a big dog. So it's been, it's been quite a stark learning curve. So actually I've, um, I've been doing a lot of academic, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm such a nerd. Okay. <laughs> um, but I've, I've actually really gotten into the academic field of, um, sort of animal behavioral psychology and um, animal behaviorism and all of those kinds of things. So I've been learning a lot about actually the um, academic published side of animal sciences to sort of enrich my my ability as a, as a good dog owner. So that's frankly where my interests have been at the moment outside of my, you know, film fictional world based scholarly research. Um, I have greatly enjoyed learning about a field that is very opposite to mine, which is animal sciences. And uh, 
yeah, it's it's helped me build a better bond with my little puppy. So, well, we need to go for tea one day then, because I am uh, basically a retired dog trainer, and and oh, brilliant! Uh, yeah, I have a lot of passion and interest in that. So we'll have to have a, a chat about that. Excellent. Yeah, I didn't. I was sure um, most people haven't found you know a fictional world narratologist who has you know a hidden interest in veterinary sciences. So that's me. <laughs> Wonderful. Tracy? I I would say I'm probably what you consider a life learner. I'm always reading. I'm always like, I'm always doing things. I'm also a care worker and I work in a, a field with a lot of dementia. And I got to say for myself, we're learning. I'm always learning a lot about dementia, trying to figure out the best way to fulfill my residents' needs uh, particularly for those who are just becoming, uh, just starting to go into dementia. But also, too, I do that as a bit of a survival skill for myself because having the understanding of why people do what they do definitely helps me throughout my shifts that, you know, that understanding of what a human does, what a human does. But also, too, I'm kind of, trying to figure out the next step in life and I look at everything and I think for learning it's been it's been fun it's been interesting a little scary sometimes but I enjoy the challenge become what? a film scholar Tracy we always we always need more people on our side of the fence <laughs> I do have to say it's fun now watching films because now I'm like oh I know what this is going to happen <laughs> again the only problem is I have I have a hard time watching some of the bad movies now even more yeah, I have uh, I have ruined those guilty delights for some. I see that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to both of you. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for thank having you. us. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Danielle Samard and Tracy Schofield as guests. Jordana Gagnon was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Daryl Benebeck, Joel Godry, Kelsey Jansen, Tyler Wall, Jamin Heller, and Jesse Sorensen for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more information and inspiration, check out learninginnovation.ca. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and follow us on your chosen platform. Thanks for listening and take care.